point, as we continue our series, The Lord is My Shepherd, this is the verse today that actually works with our Timothy Burton-esque opener, if you saw that. I mean, this is the verse, verse 4, as we're going through, when I thought of how we could design this and, and make this series pop, this is the one that made us think of that opener. And it's verse 4. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. There it is. It's right there for us. And it actually has... Um, two parts to it, and if we had more time, I would have made this two separate sermons, because there's the first part saying, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And then there's the second part, for thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So I'm going to try to combine these two parts into one sermon, um, and, and it's just one of those things that it just pops out to us in verse four. Now, I want to be very clear that this is not a funeral scripture, Okay, and it's very appropriate to use the 23rd Psalm uh, at funerals. Matter of fact, I uh, did a funeral this week and uh, read the 23rd Psalm. And this, this does give us a lot of comfort, this verse, but I want to tell you this, that uh, when David was writing this uh, Psalm, he was not facing a funeral. He was facing real life. And this is a scripture for real life. This is talking to you as you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, as you're facing uh, an obstacle, as you're facing something that's standing in your way. It's a real life scripture that's going to give you comfort for whatever you're facing right now. Now, I want to let you know there's valleys all throughout the Bible. Um, you look in the Bible, you'll see that Joshua talks about the valley of calamity. Hosea talks about the valley of trouble. Uh, Psalm 84 talks about the valley of weeping, okay? And most of these valleys think of dark, of struggle, all these things going on. Um, in our own country, how many know we have a place called Death Valley? Uh, by a show of hands here and at all of our campuses. How many have ever been to Death Valley? Raise your hand. Let's see how many people have ever been there. And okay, I actually preached a sermon once from Death Valley. Uh, I was doing a sermon on Moses and the burning bush, and uh, we actually went to Death Valley, and I preached the sermon to just the, the camera crew that was there with us. There were three people, and they were doing this, and it was so hard to preach an entire sermon, and the camera crew was like all looking around, and I was like, stop that. You got to look right at me. I need an amen. Come on, look at me. Eye contact, all right? But uh, Death Valley... Um, the name of our church is actually River Valley, and if you're wondering how we actually named our church River Valley, uh, we used to be named Hosanna Christian Center, and uh, that name wasn't working for us, so uh, we went and, and we actually took a map of Minnesota, and we're kind of looking at it like, all right, what are we going to do here? How are we going to come up with this name? And I noticed that where our original campus uh, in Apple Valley was located, it said Minnesota River Valley. And I had never realized this, but our church was in the Minnesota River Valley. And uh, so we said, that's it, we're River Valley. And let's just believe that God's going to help us to expand and reach all across the River Valley. Who knew that it'd be global and all that, but that's where our name comes from. Now, this scripture talks about the, the valley of the shadow of death, and you may not realize this, but... Um, we are the only beings that know that we're going to die someday. Do you realize that? I mean, animals don't know they're going to die someday. Uh, praise the Lord, your goldfish doesn't know. They're just living their three-day life. You're like, hey, you, know, <laughs> you won me up the fair. All right. You know, so it's just, you know, 
But we realize we're going to die, and, and you know, some have speculated it would be better to not know that, but we, we're aware that there is such a thing as death, and the shadow of death kind of bothers us a little bit. And so we're going to get some comfort here and realize that there's something that can be learned, something that's good for us in the valley. Now, shepherds absolutely love the valleys. They would love the valleys because of this. There was always water in the valley. There was always a water source in the valley. There was always great uh, grass for their herds in the valley. But there was always a downside. There was always something bad that was in the valley. That was predators. All the predators knew that the animals also needed the water and the grass. And so they would be around there. And in all likelihood, David... Uh, killed the lion and the bear in the valley. If you think about it, when he goes to kill Goliath, he says, I've killed the lion and the bear, and God has been with me. So he, he killed the lion in the valley and the bear in the valley, and maybe you might want to write a, a book about that in a valley with a lion and a bear on a snowy day or something like that. But you know, That was a little Mark Patterson joke. But anyways, um, here's a couple things about valleys. Here's a couple things. First thing is, you cannot avoid the valleys. You can't avoid them. And there's nothing wrong with you because you go through valleys. I mean, I think we think, uh, you know, Jesus saved me, um, and I'm a follower of his. Everything should be perfect now. I'll never go through a valley. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God tells us that we're going to have troubles, that we're going to go through life, and there's going to be some difficult times. And I love the honesty of the 23rd Psalm, that this, the writer is going through this valley. And Jesus says in John 16, he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. See that in this world, you're going to have trouble. It's going to happen. There's going to be things that come your way that are going to be the valleys. M. Scott Peck in his book, The Road Less Traveled, said, life is difficult. Once you, get, once you accept that, it gets easier. It's true. Life is going to have valleys, and you can't avoid them. I mean, it's just part of, of what goes on in life. It's because we're part of this earth. Another thing you need to realize about valleys you cannot schedule your valleys. How many know that? I mean, they come at the worst possible time. My dad used to say this. He used to say, I need this like I need a hole in the head, you know? And it's just like, why now? I mean, we don't sit there and say, you know, uh, we've cleared June and July for a little crisis here, so we're good, you know? Nothing going on those months, you know? It comes at the worst possible time. And I don't know where this came from, but how many know that once you have one bad thing happen, uh, we're kind of like looking for the other two. Something in our culture says they come in threes, you know. And saw that on the news yesterday with the storms that were going on. And this person's like, all these storms, I mean, they come in threes. And I was just like, where did we get that from? But you can't schedule it. They just come and they show up and, and things are falling apart and then it gets worse and you're thinking it's the worst possible time and then something else comes on you and you're in the darkest valley and you're just thinking, why don't you just kick me while I'm down? You can't schedule them. And with that, you can't insulate yourself from them. I mean, there's nothing you can do to say, I will never have a valley, I will never have a dark time, I will never have a struggle. There's, you just can't do it. It's not possible to completely insulate yourself from a valley. 
Now, now some of you have a wrong uh, idea about me as your pastor. You have a wrong idea of what it means to be a pastor. Some of you think, wow, it'd be great if we were a pastor and we just lived in the favor of God and nothing ever bad happened to us and God like answered every prayer and we just lived this perfect, amazing life. That's not the case, okay? And I want to let you know that everyone has values. You cannot insulate yourself from them. Even your pastor has gone through valleys. You may not realize this, but I was born with a caved-in chest. So I was born, my chest was all sunken in, caved in. At the age of 11, they came to me and they said, your heart and your esophagus are touching and it isn't good. We're going to have to cut you open and move your esophagus over and, and do major surgery on you when you're 11 years old. They said, no, there's a possibility, a remote possibility that you could die in this. I mean, if you're 11 years old and they're telling you that you could die, that's a valley that you're going through. And I can remember in that moment, I said, I'm good with God. I'm okay. I know where I'm going if I die. I have a great family here. I'm going to make it through there. God was my peace in the valley. When I was in college, my brother Roger was in a head-on collision, and he almost died. He was in a, a serious head-on collision at County Road 42 and 13, had to be medevaced out, was in a coma for six days, uh, cut his skull in half, broke his jaw, punctured his lung, I mean, just terrible things that had happened in this, this accident. When he came out of the coma after six days, he had to relearn everything. He had to relearn how to walk. He had to relearn who we were, how to read. I can remember sitting with him in those therapy moments where they said, Roger, point to the orange circle, and he pointed to the red square. And I'm like, no, Roger, it's right over here. He had no clue. He had to relearn everything. That, that's a valley that you're going through as a family. I can tell you this, when Connor, our oldest, was born with autism, and we didn't know it, and he was diagnosed with autism, and here we are trying to figure out what's wrong with Connor. Why won't he sleep in a, in a crib like a normal child? Why does he want to sleep in his car seat? Why won't he play with the other children? Why does he scream when we're out in the sun? How does he know the directions to church and to the mall and all these things, and he's only two years old, and we're trying to figure this out? Then we realize that he has autism. I'm telling you what, that's a valley that you're going through. And in that valley, you're standing in front of the church and your church is only like 180 people and you're trying to grow it and you're sharing that your son has autism and then a family quits because their daughter is afraid of your son because he has special needs. That's devastating to you. That's a huge valley. And some of you are thinking like, wait a minute, Connor, Connor, autism, this doesn't make sense. You may not realize this, but God miraculously healed Connor when he was four and a half years old. It's an incredible sermon. It's online. God miraculously showed up and healed Connor to the point that we brought him to the special ed uh, class. And they're like, what happened to Connor? We said, God healed him this week at church. It was an incredible testimony of God's healing power. But before there was the miracle, there was the valley. When Logan was born, he was born with strep B, and he had to be resuscitated twice that night, was in ICU for 10 days. And I can remember that night realizing that he almost died and praying, God, get me through this valley. I don't want to be a hero. I just want to make it. You've got to hold me. You've got to get us through this. Our family has battled anxiety issues. Our family has battled cancer. When my father died of cancer, it was probably one of the darkest valleys in our life. And he's dying of cancer, and the church had a little blip financially, and we were betrayed by a very close friend, and it was a horrible, horrible time in our life. Those are real valleys. You cannot insulate yourself from valleys. And, and when I was uh, at my lowest point in ministry, I can remember when we were moving into our Apple Valley campus, we were renting this facility, 
And I can remember we had chosen a contractor that was the cheapest bid, and it turned out that he was addicted to heroin and ran off with our money, and the church was being delayed, and we couldn't open on time. And I can remember how depressed I was. It was the lowest point in ministry in my life. It was the darkest valley. And I can remember one day I sat there at my desk. I didn't move all day. I just sat there all day trying to think, how can I lose the ministry today and not lose Becca? What could I do that would be so destructive that I would definitely lose the church, but I wouldn't lose my wife? What I came up with was that uh, I would get really drunk that day and call everybody in church and tell them what I thought of them. I thought I'd for sure get fired, but Becca wouldn't leave me, so, you know. How many are glad that your pastor didn't do that, all right? Some of you are like, you might have wanted to see that. Okay, yeah, you're bad people, all right. Man, I was in a valley. That's real life. That's real valleys. You cannot insulate yourself. You think like, I, I love God so much and I, I want, I'm serving him. And, and sometimes in that, we say, why me? Why me? And I think we should say, why not me? You know, here's my theory on this, why it upsets us when we go through the valleys and things don't work the way we want them to work is that we start getting a taste of heaven and we love what we taste. Man, you give your life to Jesus Christ and you feel the peace of God. You have a family that serves Jesus. You're, you're loving him. Things are going well for you. You got a job. You got a home. Things are going well. And any time that that taste of heaven gets interrupted, if, if Satan throws a little sand in your food and it, oh man, I didn't like that, all of a sudden you get upset because your taste of heaven isn't what you were enjoying. All of a sudden you're enjoying this and now it's not enjoyable anymore. And God's like, that was just a taste of heaven. Earth is earth. Earth isn't perfect. Earth is going to have thorns and thistles and struggles. This is just a taste of what's coming. And so we get upset when our taste gets disturbed, and we should realize heaven is going to be amazing, and earth may have its thorns and thistles, and thank God for the taste that I get, but I will endure whatever I go through, which realizes we need to realize this. Valleys aren't forever. Valleys aren't forever. If you didn't catch this in the verse, yea, though I walk through the valley, you're going through it. You're not going to stand there and stay there forever. <laughs> Aren't you glad that every week I don't sit there at the desk going, well, today might be the day. You know? <laughs> I, that'd be a bad way to live life. You go through the valley. You go through it and you get through it. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It's there. I can remember being in Vietnam and we we're on one of our global teams and they let us go into those tunnels in Vietnam and I wanted to experience that. And I can remember going into that tunnel and and it just, man, it was closing in on me. They weren't built for people my size. And I was thinking, I got to get through this thing. And I could see the light up ahead. And that was giving me hope. And I wanted to push the people in front of me. But I thought that would get me stuck. And so I was like, go fast. Come on. Move forward. And all I was focusing on was the light. Get through. Get through. There's light over there. There's got to be an end of this tunnel because there's light over there. Man, the world may be collapsing in on you, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. You are going through the valley. That's what it says. You need to realize this, too. You grow in the valleys. Man, you grow. Ask anybody that's been through a valley if they would do it again, and they'll pause. Because they know what it was like, and they didn't enjoy it, but they know what it's like to get through it. 
And you say, the depth that I know about God now is another level. The depth that I know about marriage, in, in my lowest time there, Becca could sense that something was going on in me, and she threw this huge surprise party trying to encourage me, you know, to see that someone loves me that much, that they were doing this for me. I mean, the depth to our marriage, the depth to my ministry, the depth that I understood the pressure of being a pastor, the depth that I understood about who God is in my life. And you say, would I go through it again? And I would answer yes. I would say yes, because I grew. Did I enjoy that part of it? Absolutely not. It's like a coach making you do exercises or wind sprints. Do you enjoy it? No, but I'm telling you what, when you hoist the trophy, do you enjoy that? You bet. And it makes every valley, every struggle worth it when you get through it. And so you grow when you go through the valley. This is what 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says. It says, so be truly glad There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Man, it's worth it to go through the valleys because that's where you grow. Now, there's a transition here, and I want to make sure you're aware of this. The reason that the psalmist says he can make it is is because he says, thou art with me. You're with me. The reason I can make it is you're with me. And I want to let you know this, that in in the 23rd Psalm, in verses 1 through 3, it's almost like the psalmist is writing sheep to sheep, like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside still waters. It's so amazing. God's so good. And all of a sudden, verse 4, he's in the valley, and he's like, hey, you're with me. You're with me. He stops talking to the sheep, and he's talking to the shepherd. And all of a sudden, his whole focus goes to, hey, God, I'm talking to you. We're in this together. And all of a sudden, the omnipotent becomes intimate. And it's like, hey, I know you got the power, but right now, I need you to be here right here with me right now. And it's amazing, in the valleys, we grab hold of God. We grab hold of him. I mean, sometimes when it's going so well, we're all sing-songy, little Disney-esque in our faith, and all of a sudden you go through the valleys and you're like, God is real. God is getting me through this. And you're talking to God, and it's as if these, these hard times all of a sudden cause us to grab hold of God. I think about we were going through um, some caves in Virginia. We took the kids out to Washington, D.C. years ago and went through a little cave tour in Virginia, and they said, in just a moment, we're going to turn out all the lights, and you're going to see how dark, dark really can be. And I can remember in that moment, you know, they said, all right, we're getting ready to turn out all the lights. And Connor and Logan, who were just running around the cave having all sorts of fun, all of a sudden were like, mom, dad, you know, hand, please, you know. And, and in that moment, I just got a thought of maybe in the darkness, that's when we say, God, hand, hand. All the other time, we're running around going, God's good, God's good. And all of a sudden, the dark times are like, let me hold your hand. And God's like, I was wondering if we'd hold hands again. And they turned out all the lights in there, and I couldn't resist it. I did one of those, you know. <laughs> I scared myself, you know. I was like, Becca, where's your hand, you know. Uh, but the psalmist says, you're with me. I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, and you're with me, and that's how I can make it. I can get through this. 
Psychologists have actually done tests on this, and they found that if somebody's with you, you can endure twice as much pain. They actually did a test with this. They actually took people and put their feet in freezing ice buckets, and they said, keep them in there as long as you can. Then they all left the room, and they were by themselves. Then they did the same test with people with someone else there in the room with them. They lasted twice as long. Think about this. God's saying, when you're going through the valley, I'm with you. You can last twice as long. You can make it. The divine is with you. You can make it. I'm with you. And maybe you know somebody that's going through a valley. Can I just say this? You may not know what to say to them, but just be with them. They can endure twice as much if you're with them. God has placed you in their life so that they can make it and get through this because they can say, you're with me. You're getting me through this. You're there. I I see God in you getting me through this. God's with me and his church is with me. The body is with me. That's why we have life groups and global teams and we ask you to make friends and be part of the body because we're in this together and we can go through the valley and endure twice as much because we're in this together. When bad things happen though, God doesn't explain himself, how many know that? But he gives comfort. He doesn't explain himself. We're all saying, why? And he's like, let me hold you. Why? And he's like, we're not gonna go there. Let me hold you. And so if you're going through a valley, just let God comfort you and get you through the valley. Okay, now the the second part of this, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And uh, I actually have both the the rod and the staff with me today. And... uh, This is very similar to what the rod looked like. It may not have had a curved knob, but it definitely had a knob on the top. It's the rod and the staff. And this is one of those reasons why I love the King James and why we didn't use the message translation. And again, like message for just devotional reading, but the message translation says, your shepherd's crook is with me. It just says this, it leaves out this. And if I could say this, I think faith today loves this, doesn't like this. We like the staff. We like loving, caring, comfort Jesus because this is care, this is correction. This is gentle, this is tough. This is love, this is discipline. This is mercy, this is judgment, okay? So we, we like, I just want a caring, kind shepherd Jesus that allows me to do anything I want and then when I get in trouble, he just rescues me. But he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And they're in this together. And so let me just explain this to you. The rod was actually used um, for him to examine his sheep. The Bible says in Ezekiel 20, 37, I will take note of you as you pass under my rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. And so it was very symbolic. He's saying, you know what? You're gonna pass under the rod. I'm gonna inspect you and I'm gonna see if there's anything wrong. And so the shepherd would actually stop his sheep And then he would take the rod and he would use this to part the wool. And he would look to see if there's any parasites or anything that needed to be taken care of. And so the rod actually inspects us. Some have said that the rod is symbolic to the word of God. And this is symbolic to the spirit of God. And the word of God inspects us. And how many know that when you read the word of God, it looks inside your heart? You get into the word of God and all of a sudden it says, this has got to change. That's why the psalmist says in 139, verses 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The rod is a way for us to be examined. And I would just say to you, after church, maybe the sermon doesn't hit you that week, but I think on a regular basis, we should take time at the end of the service and say, God, inspect me today. Is there anything in me that you want to just look at, 
I'm going to take time, and at the end of the service, instead of praying with a prayer team member, I'm just going to take a knee and come on up, and you can inspect me because I want to be before you and say, God, correct me. If there's anything you see in me, fix it. The rod was also used for discipline. You would smack them, you know. Remember we talked about the sheep, you know, having their little zone, a little thing, and he'd like, pow, pop them with the rod, and that was a little correction for them. That's who he'd do. But another way that he'd correct him with the rod, because with absolute precision, a shepherd could throw the rod right by the sheep. I saw this with the Maasai tribe when I was in Kenya. And uh, the shepherds, with absolute precision, could throw this and almost get it to bounce exactly where they wanted it to be. So a sheep may be going into a bush where it shouldn't be or into an area where it was going to get into trouble, and the shepherd, with precision, could just this thing would go by and then scare the sheep right back to the flock. It was a way to, to correct them and to bring them back. And it was also a way to defend them. It was a way to say that I, I'm going to defend them. Matter of fact, in all likelihood, David killed the lion and the bear with the rod. He took this and went and attacked them and defended the sheep with the rod. Now the staff, the staff again is symbolic spirit of God, care. And there's a couple of things that are done with the staff. When a, a sheep has a, a baby ewe uh, and the, the mother may be over there and the baby's over there, the shepherd will lovingly grab the little baby and bring it over to the mother, not wanting to get his scent on it, but he just wants to draw them together. And maybe that's you. You're, you're here in the church and you're wondering what's going on. And, and the Spirit of God is saying, you know what? Your next step is to be in a life group. Your next step is to get close to people. You weren't meant to just be in a church and be scattered around. You were meant to be in community, and you'll feel the tug of God saying, hey, this global team is for you. You were meant to be in that community, and it's pulling you together. Another thing that the shepherd would do, this is like an extension of his hand, and he would actually be able to pull the sheep back into close proximity. And he'd be able to take a shy sheep that would only get so close and be able to hook it around them and pull and say, come on, get closer. Get closer. And if you could see this for just a moment, some of you feel the spirit of God in worship. And the spirit is saying, get closer to Jesus. Get closer. This time is a little bit more intimate for you. And you know that battle where you're thinking like, God's saying, why don't you raise your hands and get a little more intimate with me right now? And you're like, I'm shy sheep. I don't do the hand raising thing, you know. And, and God's like, just tugging. And the Holy Spirit's just tugging you a little closer and saying, come on, raise your hand. Be more intimate with Jesus. Get closer to him. Don't just stay at a distance. That's something that the shepherd does. Another thing that he does is he uses the shepherd's staff for guiding pressure. Not discipline, guiding pressure. The sheep may just a little, be a little bit off course, and the shepherd would just kind of take the staff and just correct them over there gently. And that reminds me of John 16, 13. It says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. I think this is amazing that the spirit of God can gently guide us into all truth and get us right to where we need to be. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you know him as Lord and Savior, one of the things you really need to do is learn to hear his voice. You need to learn how to hear the Spirit of God just gently guiding you to where you need to be and you need to be sensitive to those leadings where God says, you know what, go say hi to that person. Go, go, go do this. Go ahead and give that. Go ahead, yep, I want you to go there. Get, get there early today. I've got something for you. Listen to the Spirit of God as he gently guides us. And the last thing that a shepherd would do, um, he'd rescue the sheep with this. Um, 
He'd rescue the sheep and be able to, they get into all sorts of messes and they get trapped and he'd be able to just go in there and the only way to get them out is to get them up. You know, he's like, the only way to get you out is to get you up. And the Spirit of God can do that to us. We get into so many messes and so many things that are troubles. And the only way for us to get out of the mess, how many know, is for God to rescue us. Like, just get me, get, get me out of this mess I've made. Get me out. And the Spirit of God says, I'll get you out. I'll help you get out of it. Thy rod and thy staff, they covered me. Some of us need some correction some of us need some care and comfort and love. We love this part, but let's not forget it's both the rod and the staff. They comfort us and they get us through whatever we're facing. So Lord, I pray right now that you would help us to understand this, that we go through valleys and they look terrible to us, but we just can't avoid them. They're part of life. There's valleys and there's mountaintops and we want to go to the mountain with you, but there are valleys and there's mountaintops. And we just know that we're going to get through those valleys. And I do pray for anyone that's in a valley right now that they would realize they're not alone. You're with them. This church is with them. Their friends in Christ are with them. And they're not going through this alone. And we pray for them as they grow, go through those valleys that they'd grow in those valleys. And we thank you for this. They'll get through it. They'll get through it. They'll get through it. I pray for the people that are even doubting it right now. They have to believe this. They will get through the valley. It's not forever. Lord, I pray right now that this church would embrace both the rod and the staff. The rod and the staff. We pray for you to examine our hearts, examine our lives, look inside, see if there's anything we need to change. See if there's anything in our heart, anxious thoughts, wicked thoughts, anything that are there that just you just say, I'm going to take care of that. It needs to go. We submit to that. And we thank you for your loving care as you take care of us. Lead and guide us by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for these things that comfort us and get us through the valley of the shadow of death. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.